Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect program. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the program, please press star and then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this program is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's program, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Melina, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect program, Dental Health During Cancer Treatments. It's a very important topic and one that you often don't get to hear about, so I'm delighted with you all being on the call today. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and it really is because of that collaboration and, of course, each of your interests that we have on the call today over 855 participants. And you actually come from all over the United States. You come from large cities and small cities. You come from suburban areas as well as rural and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Australia, Canada, Guam, India, Japan, Syria, and the U.K. So you really come from all over the world. And it's a testament to each of you, your credit, that you're on the call today to learn more as information seekers about this topic. I'd like to turn your attention for a moment to the materials that you received from Cancer Care. In those materials, there is uh, information about the program today. There's an outline that our speakers have prepared and information about our speakers. And there also is information about all of the different collaborating organizations. And there's information about their toll-free numbers and their websites so that you can get additional information and support and help as well. And those are all free services. Um, in addition, there is an evaluation form in your materials. And that's very important to us to get your feedback. It's, um, it's our way of really getting uh, really sort of a dialogue with all of you about what you think of the programs. Um, you know, who but each of you can best tell us um, what you think about the programs and the topics that we choose. And if there are topics that you would like that are near and dear to your heart that you'd like us to offer. So please do take a moment and complete those evaluation forms. You know, the Education Department is a small team, and we're, we go over all your feedback and really can rather quickly implement your, your suggestions into a future program. So um, it is worth just taking just a minute, fill out that evaluation form, send it back to us, and we very much value your feedback. Um, and it really helps us to keep these programs relevant to what you need, um, and that's, that's the most important thing about, about these programs. Now, today's program was made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Novartis Oncology, and I really want to thank them for their support of this program, um, which we've now been offering now for a few years. Now, we have wonderful speakers, expert speakers, really opinion leaders and thought leaders in the field um, with us today, and I want to start by introducing our first speaker, uh, Dr. Lowell Anthony. And Dr. Lowell Anthony is a medical oncologist, He's Professor of Medicine, Division of Hematology and Oncology, Louisiana State University Health Science Center. And Dr. Anthony is going to provide an overview of the importance of dental health during cancer treatments. He's going to talk about the role of a multidisciplinary team, which we really have on the program today, all of you. Um, we have the um, importance of patient, dentist, oncologist communication, and quality of life concerns. I'm now going to turn this program over to Dr. Anthony. Thank you very much, Carolyn. It's a real pleasure to be talking with everyone today concerning a very important aspect of cancer management and specifically this is a supportive care uh, topic that as uh, a professional in this area we have to address early on in, in cancer management and specifically uh, we're focused on discussing issues about the mouth, uh, mucositis uh, that may be part of cancer treatment. We usually think of uh, chemotherapy-associated uh, to oral toxicity with certain agents, uh, agents that would be used in treating breast cancer, uh, in treating lung cancer, uh, in treating gastrointestinal cancer, and some others as well. And part of the preparation to, to be receiving chemotherapy for a, a particular malignancy would be to gather as much information about side effects of those drugs that would be offered to you. Uh, usually during the consenting part of, uh, the, of the chemotherapy, this information should be offered by that person uh, giving the consent. And the information could come orally to you. They could tell you about it. And there also could be pamphlets, things that are written down 
uh, about what to expect. But generally in drugs that we would be using that would cause it, would the symptoms of, of mouth soreness or discomfort, pain, dryness, uh, may occur within uh, a few days after receiving the treatment, and it may go on and peak somewhere around a week or so afterwards and then should start to improve uh, after that. Uh, what we would want to do in terms of, of managing this would be to anticipate what problems might be uh, going into it. So we want to identify people who may be at risk for having uh, more complications than what we would normally expect. Uh, this would be where the presence of, of cavities or caries or, or abscesses or any gum issues, and, and it's really fairly frequent. We, we see uh, dental issues in probably, I would think about probably three out of every four patients we see. We see something that we want to bring their attention to, may have them see another portion of the team that uh, deals with uh, malignancy, and, and that aspect uh, would be our, our oral uh, surgeons or our dentists that uh, see patients with us, uh, specifically uh, those that may be in the hospital that may have more urgent need for this care, uh, people with head and neck cancer who are getting ready to undergo radiation treatment and chemotherapy would really need to be really need to have a semi-urgent uh, assessment. Uh, many times we can't really move forward uh, with cancer treatment until the entire team has assessed the patient and the proper uh, uh, procedures have been done, which may include a dental extraction, uh, may, may be uh, other things according to uh, what's necessary. So part of the uh, treatment would be the preparation uh, going into it, anticipating what those side effects would be, and then managing those uh, the complications afterwards. And what we're concerned about is once we give a cancer treatment and we've done everything we can to potentially minimize complications and now we're facing expected complications, then we need to uh, address ways of going about handling those particular complications. And this may be uh, something like giving a, a, an oral uh, antibiotic, uh, topical uh, mouthwash, a swish and swallow. Uh, it could be a number of different types of of uh, approaches based upon whether we think it's an infection, whether it's bacterial or whether it's a fungal infection. And we'd have to say that, that yeast or candida is probably one of the more common ones we see. And that could uh, alter taste, uh, be a coating on the tongue, uh, may result in weight loss uh, as well, decreased appetite, things along those lines are certainly uh, fallouts from uh, managing uh, this particular uh, aspect of, of, uh, of treatment. Drugs that we specifically associate with mucositis would be a drug called bleomycin. Uh, bleomycin is not used widely, but uh, still being used in, in germ cell uh, tumors in mostly males. Uh, cytosine arabinoside or cytarabine is a drug that's commonly used in treating leukemia, and this drug is guaranteed to cause uh, a certain amount of mouth discomfort. It's related to the schedule and dosing a bit in terms of the severity and the onset. A drug called doxorubicin. Uh, this drug has been on the market now for, gosh, uh, over 30 years now. I guess it's approaching 35. A uh, drug that's widely uh, used in the management of, of breast cancer uh, and may certainly uh, be associated with uh, mouth ulcers. Uh, VP16 or etoposide uh, is a drug that's used in uh, treating certain uh, lung cancers and, and other malignancies. Uh, this is a drug that gets actually secreted into the saliva and may very well cause a local irritation based on that mechanism. Probably the most common drug that we think about causing mucositis would be 5-fluorouracil, or called 5-FU for short. This drug was introduced in a medical practice in the 1950s and by the late 1960s had found its way as the standard or the, or the uh, main treatment for treating colorectal cancer. And it still today forms the basis for uh, managing a number of GI malignancies and is also active in, in head and neck cancer um, 
and, and maybe uh, some other diseases as well. But we think of pifluorouracil as being a drug that uh, is active in the, the DNA um, synthesis phase of, of the cycle. So it's going to inhibit DNA synthesis by being, uh, being incorporated into uh, the, the DNA structure itself. So as we do this, uh, we know that certain, some people have a difficulty uh, getting rid of the drug. And this is where there's a, it's a genetic uh, enzyme deficiency called DPD deficiency or dihydropyrimidine dehydrogenase deficiency. And it's present in just a few percent of the population, but uh, there's a, probably a little bit uh, greater number of people who don't have an absolute deficiency but may have some uh, decreased expression of the enzyme, and they may be a little bit more sensitive to uh, 5-FU. When we see somebody who starts to have symptoms within a week or two that are not improving, and specifically this might be mouth pain, it might be diarrhea, um, it might be myelosuppression where the blood counts are, are lower than, than what we would normally expect. This would be indicative to us that this enzyme um, may not be uh, expressed to the extent that, that it needs to be and may alter uh, our therapeutic approach. Uh, so uh, 5-fluorouracil, we know a lot about how it's handled. We know a lot about what to expect from it. If anybody receives that drug and starts having problems a week to two weeks later, uh, they should not get another dose until those side effects, those problems have been identified. They should be improving. We certainly don't want to give it as a second dose to someone who cannot metabolize and remove uh, the drug. And then the final drug that we think about traditionally that causes mucositis uh, is methotrexate. This is a, uh, an older drug that historically has been used in treatment of of sarcomas uh, and other tumors, but it's used a little less now because we have other choices uh, mostly. Now, there was a drug that was approved uh, a few weeks ago by the FDA uh, for the uh, second-line treatment in, the, in managing renal cell uh, cancer. Uh, this is a drug called Everolimus, E-V-E-R-O-L-I-M-U-S, and the brand name is Afinitor, A-F-I-N-I-T-O-R. And this drug is a member of the mTOR, and that's little m, capital T, capital O, capital R, class of drugs. The mTOR stands for mammalian target of rapamycin. This is a oral drug, and an expected side effect is mucositis. Now, it's not the type of mucositis that we typically see with high-dose chemotherapy and radiation, but it is uh, more like uh, a herpetic uh, mucositis where there will be ulcers on the tongue, on the, buccal mu on the mucosal membranes of the mouth, and they, it responds very nicely to non-alcoholic mouthwash, and it can strike almost at any time and may be associated with a, a skin rash as well. So with that said, Carolyn, I'm going to turn it back over to you, and we'll be happy to take questions later on. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Anthony, for a very, very comprehensive and just an excellent presentation. You really covered um, just very encyclopedic in terms of setting the stage and the context for this uh, today's program. So thank you very much. Um, and I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Um, our next speaker is Dr. Douglas Peterson. Uh, Dr. Peterson is a dentist. He's Professor, Division of Oral Medicine, Department of Oral Health and Diagnostic Sciences, School of Dental Medicine. He's Chair, Head and Neck Oral Oncology Program, NAE Comprehensive Cancer Center, the University of Connecticut Health Center. And Dr. Peterson um, is going to address guidelines for dental checkups, cleaning and care before and during cancer treatments, managing mouth sores and dry mouth, and the importance of clinical trials. So I'm now going to turn the program over to Dr. Peterson. Thank you very much, Carolyn. And I to share in the, the privilege of participating in today's teleconference. And I'm going to work along the lines that Dr. Anthony has so well established and, and talk about some of the dental and mouth-related issues from, from the dental team's perspective. And it really does keep coming back to that very important foundation of communication among the patient, the oncologist, and the dental team in order to really, really maximize the, the outcomes of the cancer treatment. 
Not all cancer treatments do cause mouth problems, either during or, or after the actual cancer therapy. And as Dr. Anthony mentioned, the principal causes of mouth problems during cancer treatment involve either head and neck radiation for the patient who's being treated for head and neck cancer or high-dose chemotherapy, sometimes given in multiple cycles over multiple months. And then, in turn, some of the problems caused by either the radiation or the chemotherapy occur during the actual cancer treatment and then clear up several weeks after the cancer treatment ends. Other problems may not actually develop until months or even a few years after the cancer treatment ends itself, for example, with radiation. And so it's very important to understand that not all cancer treatments cause dental and mouth problems and that some of those problems only occur during the treatment and, and other occurs don't other complications don't begin to occur until sometimes months and years after the cancer treatment ends. And just as a related topic, although we're not talking primarily when I bring this up about cancer treatment, but the question often comes up and we can certainly talk about this during the discussion. What is osteonecrosis of the jaw in patients receiving bisphosphonates for months and years because of their cancer? And I think it's very important briefly to understand that the classes of bisphosphonates have been used for many, many years. The pain and the exposed bone that may occur in the, in the jaw bones is not a common occurrence. In fact, it appears to be well under 10% of all patients on bisphosphonates. And by seeing the dental team and working with the oncology team before one starts the bisphosphonates, there are many preventive approaches that we can introduce to really minimize the risk of this, of this jawbone lesion. And, you know, Dr. Lane and the rest of us will be glad to, to talk about this during the, the Q&A. I think two very important questions to ask your oncology team are, can I expect any short-term or long-term effects on my mouth because of my cancer treatment? And then also another important question to ask is, are there any problems in my mouth before I'm going to start my cancer treatment that may interfere with that cancer treatment? And based on that information from the oncology team, working with the dental team, this collaboration can often lead to very positive, very important outcomes of the cancer treatment. As far as taking care of the patient's mouth before and then during the, the cancer treatments, be they radiation or chemotherapy or sometimes in combination, the dental team is always working to achieve excellent health of the patient's teeth and gums and lining tissues, lining tissues of, of the mouth. This is, this is always our goal, and in some patients it's easily achieved, and in other patients it's, it can be more, more complicated. But it's very important that whether or not the cancer treatment is affected to influence the mouth, that there be regular, periodic dental examinations and cleanings to keep the mouth in the very best health possible over, over many years. And that's certainly a key point when we're talking about preparing the patient and the, and the dental status for the cancer treatment and then in turn following that patient in the months and years after that cancer treatment, making sure that the mouth is always in, in excellent health and we do our very best to, to achieve that. Having said that, it's important to realize that in the relationship to cancer treatment that's planned, not every mouth problem needs to be eliminated before that cancer treatment begins. For example, a very small dental cavity or a cosmetic procedure, those typically aren't high priority in relation to the upcoming cancer treatment. Those, those treatments can wait until the months and years after the cancer treatment ends. But as Dr. Anthony mentioned, if there's deep cavities or severe gum disease or other riskful problems, those need to be taken care of by the dental team working with the oncology team before the cancer treatment begins. And so again, discussing what am I expected to, to, to experience in my mouth and what are the priorities for the mouth care, the dentist and the oncologist work together to, to, to help the patient. 
Now, Dr. Anthony has spoken very, very uh, clearly and well about managing the mouth sores and, and the dry mouth issues that may, may occur because of some cancer treatments. It is important to realize that not all chemotherapies cause the mouth sores, the, the mucositis, and keeping the mouth very clean using frequent uh, several times a day, non-medicated mouth rinses, sometimes water and salt solutions, very important in reducing the complications because of the mouth sores. There are pain medications that we can offer the patient, either uh, put in the mouth and swished around or given as a pill or even by injection. And then we work very carefully to minimize any infection that may occur, like the candidiasis that Dr. Anthony mentioned. So there's some really some fine strategies directed to mucosal injury, some of the mucositis, sore mouth issues, as well as uh, the pain that may be associated with that. The dry mouth is something that can occur during chemotherapy, but it's more traditionally problematic in some patients months and years after head and neck radiation. And it's in those cases where the radiation directly involves the major salivary glands, like in front of the ears or under the lower jaw. And in some cases, the injury to the salivary glands can be such that there is lifelong dryness, and it can complicate some of the, the mouth functions, such as chewing or swallowing or speaking. And by working with the dental team, what we can do, hopefully up front, is minimize the risk for this salivary injury, working with a radiation oncologist, for example. There are drugs that can be given to a patient during the radiation treatment to help protect the salivary tissues. There's also ways that the radiation oncologist can carefully organize the radiation to minimize the impact on the salivary tissue. So keeping the mouth clean, working with the dentist and the oncologist in advance and during the treatment are all very useful strategies to minimizing both mucositis and dry mouth. Now all of the evidence, as I begin to, to conclude, that we're talking about today uh, basically emerges from very careful research. And I would simply say that if you're invited to participate in a clinical research study, you could be giving a wonderful gift to future patients and their families by helping researchers and clinicians develop new information and new understandings as how better to take care of the mouths of cancer patients. So in summary, I'm going to emphasize really three points that not all cancer patients develop mouth complications because of their cancer treatment. This needs to be discussed with the patient and the dentist and the oncologist. There are excellent informational resources available, such as Carolyn mentioned in her introduction, through cancer care that can be, can be really wonderful resources for, for understanding. And this collective collaboration among this team can really lead to important and very positive outcomes of the cancer treatment. I'll stop there, Carolyn, and turn the program back to you. Well, I want to thank you very, very much um, for just an excellent, uh, excellent presentation, Dr. Peterson, just really very comprehensive and very understandable in terms of all the specific um, tips that people can use in terms of care of their mouth and things to be aware of. So, and also the stress that this multidisciplinary team makes such a difference in terms of what we what people can understand about the care of their mouth during treatment. So thank you very much. And our next speaker is Dr. Joseph Lane. And Dr. Dr. Lane is an orthopedic surgeon. Um, he is professor of orthopedic surgery, Wild Medical College of Cornell University. He is also chief of metabolic bone disease service at the Hospital for Specialist Surgery. And um, Dr. Lane is going to talk about the importance of bone health for dental health. Um, he's going to talk about screening for bone health and risk factors, prescription medication to promote bone health, and the role of nutrition, exercise, and calcium supplements. I'm now going to turn the program over to Dr. Uh, Dr. Lane. Thanks, Carolyn. It's a real pleasure to uh, chat with the, uh, the group today about bone health. The question is, why are we talking about bone when we're discussing dental health programs? Well, the teeth fit in the bones of the jaw. And in fact, when, what goes on in your jaw goes on in the rest of the body. So good bone health is very critical to maintain the quality of your teeth, particularly at the times of receiving chemotherapy or other treatments during uh, cancer care. Let's take a look at our skeleton. 
basically most of us will turn over our skeleton every 10 years so that the bone you have today was not present 10 years ago. And this is a method by which the body constantly renews, repays, and reestablishes the skeleton. Now to do this, we must have a reasonable uh, amount of calcium, vitamin D, and adequate nutrition to maintain the skeleton. It's very interesting that the RDA, or the amount of vitamin D, that was prescribed by the federal government for our care of 400 units now is clearly inadequate. We know today that somewhere in the order of 1,000 to 2,000 units of vitamin D are, awake, are required to maintain calcium metabolism and maintain the skeleton. There are added advantages of taking vitamin D. It's been shown clearly uh, in some trials that vitamin D can, in fact, decrease the risk of getting certain kinds of cancer, among them breast cancer. In addition, it maintains the ability of our immune system to fight disease. Lastly, it maintains the, uh, the ability of our muscles to function. So inadequate amount of vitamin D not only will uh, impair the skeleton, but will affect many of our, uh, of our other parts of our body critical in the care of cancer. So go out and look at your vitamin D level, check it, make sure it's 1,000 units or more. But before you do any change, be sure to speak to your oncologist to make sure it's not interfering with their therapy. The second program is really basically calcium. We need about 1,000 milligrams of calcium per day to maintain our skeleton. A little bit more in certain situations, such as children, but uh, most of, the, of us past the age of 50, 1,000 to 1,200 is quite adequate. There's several kinds of calcium. I prefer calcium citrate. Why? Citrate will dissolve in any kind of uh, environment in which you eat it. On the other hand, calcium carbonate requires a very acidic stomach. And if you are trying to prevent acidity, or you're particularly because you have indigestion, or your oncologist is giving you uh, Nexian or those other element, agents, the pill will come out the bottom unused. So it's very important to use a calcium which is available, and citrate is the safer one. In addition, the citrate part of the calcium will prevent you from getting, to a large degree, kidney stones. So, Use your vitamin D, as I mentioned, and calcium. The calcium should probably be in the form of uh, citrate. Now, there are exceptions uh, in terms of renal disease, but those will be outlined by your oncologist for a specific need. The third one is adequate nutrition. The body, when it's short of uh, calories, will go and start destroying the, your body in an effort to reestablish glucose and other materials necessary to maintain the brain, your liver, your kidney, etc. Now, it turns out that the bone is considered not essential. And if you have an inadequate nutritional intake, the body will then begin to cannibalize your skeleton to provide the nutrients that it needs for the more critical organs of your body. So an adequate nutrition is important. Again, speak to your oncologist as to what is the right calorie mix that you need in this time. And particularly, if you have, in the early stages of cancer care, the cancer is a parasite, and it's using up the nutrition, and you need more calories to fight it. The next point about the skeleton is the bone responds to its activities, and it looks around. And if you exercise the bone, it will maintain the skeleton. If you're a couch potato and you don't use much activity, then the bone becomes less important. So a good exercise program is important. It can be varied. And I think you could, and I would do different kind of activities. Don't do the same thing, because then you hurt yourself. Try to have two or three different activities that you do and rotate through that process. The other issue about the skeleton is you will not get a fracture unless you fall. So fall prevention is important. One of the simplest methods to prevent falls is good is a process of balance training. And the single best way to train to do balance training, other than playing tennis and racket sport, is to do Tai Chi. What better sport than Tai Chi? It's an activity which you only need to put in about 10 to 15 minutes once or twice a week. 
and it's, a, it's almost effortless, but it will markedly improve your balance. The final aspect about maintaining your skeleton are a, an array of wonderful drugs that we currently have. If you've been identified as having osteoporosis or osteopenia, or if the oncologist warns you that the agents that they are going to give to you will, in fact, lead to bone loss, we now have several approaches. One group of drug therapy consists of agents that prevent you from losing bone. And the granddaddy of that are the bisphosphonates, which also will protect your skeleton from um, cancer invasion and prevent, or to a large degree, metastatic or fractures that can occur from metastatic disease. There are some other agents which are coming into play, such as anabolic agents, which are bone builders, but they are less frequently used in the cancer setting. So we go back to using the bisphosphonates. And the bisphosphonates, and you will recognize them as oral agents, such as um, uh, Fosamax, Actinil, and um, Boniva, and now their intravenous treatments, which is Reclast, uh, and Boniva, and Pomidronate. So that we have an array of both intravenous drugs and oral drugs, which are extraordinarily powerful in their ability to protect your skeleton, and are often used in the setting of cancer. Now, osteoporosis care requires a much lower dose than is used by the oncologist. Uh, so that you have to speak to the oncologist why they're putting you on the drug. If the drug is specifically aimed at cancer prevention, then you will use one dosage schedule. And if it's, on the other hand, is just to prevent osteoporosis, it's a much lower schedule, and I'm sure they can work this program out. So the bottom line is, today, good nutrition, good calcium, good vitamin D, and believing the vitamin D is often missed, uh, and then the exercise as appropriate, fall prevention, and lastly, the appropriate use of drugs, particularly in the setting of osteoporosis or, an, or agents being given that may lead to uh, osteoporosis. I think we've uh, sort of covered this area now, Caroline. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Lane, for just an excellent presentation and really for really helping people to understand the importance of their bones and taking care of their bones as a context for our teeth sit on a jar. Our bones need to be in good shape in general, and this is a very, very helpful tips and information that people can implement. And as you said, in consultation with their treating healthcare team, their oncologist um, with their team, that's very important. Well, now we do have time for questions, and I just want to remind everyone that we have on the call today, our speakers, our expert speakers represent different members of the medical team. We have a medical oncologist, Dr. Anthony. Um, we have a dentist, Dr. Peterson. And we have a metabolic bone expert, Dr. Joseph Lane. So we really have um, everybody you could think of to ask questions of. So I'm going to invite you to queue up and ask questions. I'm going to ask Melina to explain to you how to queue up for questions. And Melina, if you would bring all the speakers on board so that we can all be here to take the questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press the 1 key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Our first question comes from Billy H. Yes, this is to Dr. Peterson or Lang. I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and uh, nothing was discussed about my dental care. Uh, I was under high dosage of chemo also, but after I finished my treatment, I had my teeth pulled, which was the wrong thing to do because I was on so meta. I developed osteomyelitis, and I had osteonecrosis. After that was done, I went to, I asked them for false, they had to pull my teeth, so I asked them for false teeth. And the oral surgeon kept on saying, no, no, no. Well, I went to somebody else, and I got them, and they don't hurt my bone like they, they I assume they thought it was going to. And, and I wanted to know why did they not follow what I want, but, what they thought was good for me. What, what gave them the rationale to not fulfill what I want? Julian, it's nice to have you on the call, first of all. So nice to have you back on the call. Good question. And I'm going to ask uh, Dr. I guess Dr. Peterson if you could address that first. And, and sure. Just briefly, I'll I'll say that unlike many of the other complications of cancer treatment that we've addressed on this this cancer care telecon today. 
this issue of osteonecrosis of the jaw is, if you will, the new kid on the block. It really wasn't until about five, five and a half years ago that the first reports of this problem began to appear in the scientific literature. And so when, we're, when, when, when a new problem emerges, it takes a few years for us to understand what kind of risks are associated with it, how often does it occur, and importantly, what's the best way to prevent and treat it. So depending on where you were in the, you know, in the timing of this, I think that would go a long way to explaining why, why the approach that was taken was taken. We certainly know a lot more looking forward today than we did five and a half years ago when the first problem started to arise. And so comments like yours are very important, and we work with the patient to continue to stay on top of the, the information so that we can best treat, treat the patient. I would just make a, a couple of added points. I think the oncologists are now extraordinarily aware of this problem. And I think that good dental hygiene is absolutely critical uh, in, age, in, in patients who are receiving uh, high-dose uh, bisphosphates, uh, meaning once every uh, six weeks or so. And that's part, of the, and that's part of the program. So it's very critical to, be, uh, to watch the situation. And then if there's a problem arises, they will stop the agent, and then they will act on it appropriately so that uh, we can, it's not that common as people think. Uh, it does, it may occur, early interventions can abort it, and lead to recovery, uh, but it requires a partnership between the patient and their oncologist. Excellent. And um, Billy, thank you for that excellent question. And nice to have you on the call. Um, and um, thank you. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Allison S. Hello, doctors. Uh, enjoyed your talk, and I have a couple of questions. I have. I've had uh, seven chemotherapies. I have ovarian cancer, which wasn't mentioned at all today, but I assume we're somewhere in there. And uh, I've been taking care of my mouth. The, the, my doc, my oncologist, told me not to talk to, not to see my dentist until after the chemos were over. But uh, I've been doing the um, uh, alcohol-free mouthwash and flossing every night. However, just after my seventh treatment, I have had a red mark, a sore red mark, come up on the side of my tongue. The tongue sort of swells at night when I'm sleeping. I do have dry mouth, but I drink water. And then uh, I have the um, uh, sore spot under the ear, which you mentioned was a uh, salivary gland. Uh, what can I do about that, or am I doing the things right? Thank you for your question. Uh, Dr. Peterson, do you want to address that? Yeah, I, I would start with your oncologist and your dentist and have the have the have both of them examine you and then have them discuss their findings and their recommendations there can be many different reasons for the the changes that you're noticing and it it could be directly related to the chemotherapy or as i said in some of my comments it may not really be related to the cancer therapy itself. And so the oncologist and the dentist really need to examine you and then discuss their findings so that they can come up with a coordinated coordinated management plan. It really comes back to that, that team approach that we've been talking about today. Excellent. Thank you. Our next question. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jennifer R. Hi. Um, my question is... Um, is it uh, is flossing or using an electric toothbrush safe well, if somebody is on a Vastin? And the second part of my question is how long does one need to stop uh, being treated on Zomata if one does need a major dental treatment? That's an excellent question. Dr. Peterson? Yeah, it's very important that the best condition of the mouth be achieved and maintained, as, as I was saying in some of my comments. And, and flossing is as important as brushing, whether it's an electric toothbrush or a mechanical toothbrush is a little less important, but it's the combination of the brushing and flossing. Having said that, both of those interventions that need to be done at least 
twice a day on the brushing and at least once a day on the flossing need to be done properly so that you don't injure the gums and the lining tissues in the mouth. And so supervised, careful instruction on this, particularly when the tissues are more more fragile because of the cancer treatments, is very important. And again, your dental and, and oncology team can help you with that. As far as the discontinuation of the bisphosphonates in advance of a dental procedure that may expose bone, basically the literature so far, so far is suggesting that what we call a drug holiday, in other words, discontinuing the Zomita for a a defined period of time, like three months, and then doing the dental extraction, if that's what's needed, is not, is not the preferred way to go. Because as Dr. Lane so well pointed out, there are tremendous benefits to these drugs, these bisphosphonates, and we, we're dealing with a relatively uncommon problem with osteonecrosis of the jaw. And so the current thinking by most health professionals is not to discontinue the bisphosphonate in relation to the, to the dental procedure. Excellent. Thank you. Our next question. Our next question comes from Kimberly N. Hi. Um, I, I really enjoyed this whole um, talk. My concern is my, doc, my um, oncologist never talked to me about any bone loss going to the dentist, and I regularly, you know, went to the dentist prior, and then one day, you know, I had to go because it was time to get a um, – you know, the cleaning, and while I was there, my gum started bleeding, so my my dentist said that she didn't want to treat me for anything else to go back to my oncologist. I went back to my oncologist. My oncologist, you know, kind of just brushed it off, and I feel sometimes things are kind of brushed off, you know, for whoever's sake, but now I'm having extreme pain in my in, in my jaws, in my teeth. I had um, abscess between two teeth. And within those teeth, I had a root canal. I'm just wondering, you know, why some people feel they can't really just be honest. And could you just tell us what type of cancer and the name of the treatments you've had? The name of the treatments? Yes. I couldn't even tell you because I kind of blocked it out, but I had breast cancer. I was okay. um, second stage breast cancer. Okay, excellent. Okay, that was just help. Um, Dr. Peterson, could you just kind of address your question? Yeah, I think I think it's, it's programs such as this that – give all of us, including the health professionals, new insights, new information. This, this, this edu- these educational resources are so important, particularly in this day and age of very complex, often combined cancer treatments. And so when, when you have learned something from, say, today's call, for example, the whole idea is for you to organize that in your mind. And if you have a question to ask your healthcare team, then we encourage you to ask that question. I think it's also true that the health professionals are often very, very busy. And the busier we get, the more we rely on the patient to ask those questions. And if there are concerns, to share those with us so that we can make sure that we're addressing not just your teeth, not just your gums, but really your the whole range of cancer treatment and its and its and its and its management. And that, that's a very important point that you would really want to. Hopefully, that everyone on the call will take the information back to treating healthcare team. I also would encourage you um, to also utilize the staff at Cancer Care to really sometimes talk through some of the issues that you're confronting. Sometimes it's hard to bring your concerns to your physician. I think, as Dr. Peterson said, sometimes um, there may be limited time in your visit, so the question is how to make the most use of that time. And sometimes our staff can help you to kind of almost role play or decide how best to approach um, about the issues of your concern to you in terms of communication. And uh, so really get the care that you need. So also please do utilize our uh, free services at Cancer Care and do um, call us our staff here for some help with kind of negotiating all of that. It is not easy. And I appreciate your being on the call today and really, you know, asking such a very important question for you in terms of then how, in terms of moving forward. So I thank you. You know, uh, Carolyn, maybe um, uh, Dr. Anthony can explain how mechanisms are in place for oncologists to learn and maintain skill sets in the terms of, uh, uh, for instance, like the mouth. I'm sure there are formal techniques and that we all take classes, and maybe he could just share with the audience how we do maintain our skill set. Well, you know, my sense on that is the mouth is probably overlooked a lot by medical oncologists. 
Only until there's a problem, I think, do they really start paying attention to it. Um, maintaining the skill set would probably be through uh, CME events at national meetings, at supportive care um, group meetings that people have special interest in it. But I think for the generalist, they're having to keep up with uh, side effects, new side effects of drugs would be one way. Uh, as these drugs come in with these side effects, they're going to have to learn uh, what they are. But I think there's a tendency to probably blow things like this off. Simply, it's look, it looks somewhat trivial uh, until it becomes uh, of, a, of a more uh, important, more symptomatic. And, and I think from what I heard uh, Kimberly say um, is she probably was not being myelosuppressed. And so the medical oncologist thought that, I suspect that thinking through it that this was not a low platelet problem and that the dentist may have overreacted because, you know, de- bleeding with your gums is fairly common. I think that's indicative of ginger- gingivitis. So it, it may have very well been the trivialization uh, in perspective of where the, where the patient was in terms of their treatment. So that's the way I interpret this. You know, one of the secrets that I've done is when, when these issues come up, such as this, uh, often it's easier to have a doctor-to-doctor discussion. So if there's a question with a dentist, uh, I will speak to the dentist directly. And that way we are, we're on the same wavelength and we understand where we're coming from, and that usually benefits the patient. But the patient really has to be their own advocate. If you have a problem, be sure you identify it, talk to the doctor, and then direct doctor-to-doctor communication often resolves all these problems. So we realize that we're putting, of course, a great, of course, people living with cancer feeling like, oh, I've got so much to deal with, but I guess our recommendation is that we all have to work together, that the team is, in this instance, because we're focusing on dental health, is your team is your dentist, your medical oncologist, your metabolic bone expert, and yourself, that you're a vital part of that team, and that sometimes you do need help to people to help you to advocate for yourself. Um, Sometimes it's really hard to do that for yourself because you really don't know. You yourself might be wondering what's going on here. So, Kimberly, I think you did what you tried to do, and I hope that, um, uh, and I really appreciate you bringing this up because it it really, you really are, the the issue of the doctors talking to each other, the doctor and the dentist, and you can see it role modeled on this program today. You see the doctors talking amongst each other. It gives you an idea of their specialties and what they each can bring to your best care, and that's true for everybody on the call. Um, That whole team of people working together makes such a difference um, for your ultimate care. So um, from today on, um, anytime you're seeing different specialties, you may want to have them call and speak to each other. You may want to provide them with each other's numbers, and uh, they do need your permission to go ahead and that they would ask them to call them, and it would be very helpful to your care as well. So... Thank you for your excellent, really, really excellent questions, I must say. It's an outstanding audience today. Thank you. And I hope this helped too, Kimberly. If it didn't, please do call me after the call. If anyone doesn't has additional parts of their question, please do call me at Cancer Care. Call Cancer Care and we'd be happy to help. Our next question. Our next question comes from Rita H. Uh, yes, hello. I am uh, 75 years old, and on the matter of dental implants, I differ with my dentist. I've been on chemo a couple of times. In fact, I'm on it now. Mm-hmm. I have chronic lymphocytic leukemia, and just from having that, I have this lowered immunity, and I'm on IVIG most of, most of the time. I feel a dental implant for me should not be an option. I feel there will be a problem with healing and infection. I... Um, I'm interested in knowing what you all think. So, um, you know, thank you. Actually, it's an excellent question, Rita. We're going to, I'm going to ask our, our speakers to address your question in a general way, just because they, of course, don't know all the details of your situation. Um, Dr. Peterson, do you want to address the concept of dental implants first? Or? Yeah, there are, you know, anytime we perform a procedure that will involve bone manipulation, we have to, on the health professional side, assure that there is, if there's any risk, that we understand what that risk is and that that risk is discussed with the patient. There's a difference between ideal dental treatment in some cases versus what's the the best dental treatment for the patient. And maybe from an ideal technical standpoint, an implant would be 
be very appropriate. But from an overall standpoint, including your your concerns, Lena, on safety, then perhaps the ideal treatment is is not the the best treatment. And so ultimately, it is it is your decision. And by working with the dentist and the oncologist and understanding the benefits, there are many benefits to implants in many patients but also the risks, then you can make an informed decision. Ultimately, it's your decision. Our role is to discuss the options with you, their advantages and risks, so that you can make an informed decision. And is there any need to do any type of screening for bone health before undertaking a a dental implant, or it's not necessary? It depends. It depends on, just generally speaking, if if there's radiation exposure to the lower jaw, for example, that could be riskful in the context of an implant. If a patient's on bisphosphonates and has had no history of head and neck radiation, including to the lower jaw, then it's important to understand the dosing and the duration and the class of drug and so forth. In some cases, bone densitometry may be appropriate, but but not in all cases. It really is a case-by-case decision. And perhaps Dr. Lane would like to, to, to add some comment along those lines. Well, you know, it's interesting. To get an implant to heal, you need a, a bone-forming stage. And uh, there, it's not been worked out very well, but along the horizon of these concepts called bone markers, which people are now evaluating, these bone markers allow you to tell whether you're a bone maker or a bone loser. And uh, right now there are no trials which have actually been addressed whether the bone marker can help the uh, dental surgeon make the decision whether an implant will stick or not stick. Um, But certainly if the bone was, uh, if the turnover was extremely low from the treatment program, I, I have a feeling that this would impair, make it longer for the incorporation of the technique. There's, there actually are some bone for our stimulating agents, particularly the parathyroid hormone. And I was going to ask Dr. Peterson whether anybody has tried, had a trial using Forteo in an effort to enhance uh, implant incorporation, particularly if the person is suppressed in their turnover. I'm not aware of that kind of trial. It's a very intriguing research question, getting back to clinical trials and, and the like. There are bone turnover and, 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 and metabolic assays that you, you've, you've alluded to that are beginning to emerge in the, in the literature. And certainly there's stunning advances over the last decade in biomaterials and tissue-guided regeneration, to use, to use the technical term, to help foreign bodies like implants that we place in the jaws take and have a durable durable take for many, many years. So there's, on the one hand, some really impressive technology and biomaterials, but I'm not aware of trials along the way that uh, you're discussing, Dr. Lane. It raises a very interesting and important avenue. Excellent. This is a really excellent discussion. Thank you. And thank you, Rita, for asking the question, and I hope this is helpful to you um, as you um, pursue your decision-making process. Thank you. Our next question, please. Thank you. Our next question is from Siegland H. Uh, yes. Um, I have uh, stage 3 uh, breast cancer, and I've been on chemo. And my question basically is about having my teeth cleaned. I don't seem to get a direct answer from my oncologist, and my dentist is a bit apprehensive uh, based, I guess, on uh, infection and so forth. Um, would I be going in the right direction if I went ahead and have my teeth cleaned. And do you know if anything about your blood count at this point, just before we ask? Um, I do have uh, blood taken every week, and uh, mm-hmm. it seems to be fine. Mm-hmm. I do take a Neuprogen um, every day for a week um, after my chemo, and um, my blood work is usually pretty good. All right. Thank you for that excellent question. I'm going to ask um, Dr. Anthony if you could just start with this issue um, in terms of uh, the medical oncology perspective. Sure. Uh, if your blood counts are, are holding up and you're not on any other drugs that are going to increase uh, complications, bleeding, et cetera, uh, I don't see any contraindication. Excellent. Okay. So I think that, that's helpful. Yeah, any I, other? I, I would just add, uh, Dr. Peterson here, that sometimes what gets under-recognized in these kinds of discussions is what happens when the patient 
isn't having regular dental checkups and isn't having cleanings on a regular basis, by, by not having systematic care and systematic cleanings, again, carefully timed to the blood counts and the, the cancer treatment, I mean, all that, that communication and understanding needs to be in place. But without having regular cleanings and checkups, there's actually greater risk over time that there could be a, a gum abscess or infection or a deep cavity or something along those lines that could actually interfere with future cancer treatments. So as long as it's medically safe to do the cleanings, and then again, that's a discussion with the dentist and the oncologist, then it is important to maintain the very best mouth health you can. And one of the ways to do that is to have periodic cleanings every, say, every six months. And this is excellent. Also, the coordinate, you mentioned the coordination in terms of when uh, the chemo is and when the best time then in that sequencing to get the the teeth examined. Is there a, would you want to comment more about that, Dr. Peterson? Yeah, what we try and do in patients that are on ongoing, say, 21 or 28-day cycles of chemotherapy is we, we time our dental procedures in between those chemotherapy treatments, and we try and do the treatments just as the blood counts are high enough coming off the previous chemotherapy so that we've got perhaps a week to 10 days to do the procedures and monitor for any complications and then get the patient ready for the next round of chemotherapy. And of course, it really also depends on how invasive is the dental procedure. There's a big difference between taking a dental x-ray, a dental film, which is not going to cause any substantive risk, versus doing a wisdom tooth extraction, which we'd have to time more carefully in relation to blood counts. Thank you very much. We did get a question um, actually from Beth. Um, it was a question about um, uh, dental care before, during, or after autologous stem cell transplant. Just a kind of general question. Any, anyone want to comment on that? I, I'm sorry, Carolyn. Dental care? Um, dental, well, actually, just dental care follow-up before, during, or after an autologous stem cell transplant. Yeah. Well, just uh, I'll, I'll start. And basically, as we've talked about with a patient about to undergo head and neck radiation for mouth cancer or a patient about to undergo intensive chemotherapy for leukemia, for example, patients who are about to undergo chemotherapy in preparation for an autologous stem cell transplant would and should receive a dental evaluation, a mouth evaluation before that chemotherapy. And the good news here is we typically have often two to six weeks even to examine the patient's mouth and do any medically necessary dental treatment before the chemotherapy and the autologous transplant begins. So it is, it is important that there be a dental evaluation and appropriate dental management related to the upcoming chemotherapy in patients who are scheduled to receive an autologous stem cell transplant. Excellent. Thank you very much. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Mary R. Um, I have multiple myeloma, and I've had it now for, it's been going on 11 years. Um, and I had a bone marrow transplant in October 1999. Of course, this year, in October, it'll be 10 years since my transplant. Excellent. Wow. And uh, I got, I have a dentist appointment next Tuesday to get uh, my top teeth pulled. I'm scared to death, but um, my oncologist said I should get them pulled. I'm not on any chemo. The only thing I take now is thalidomide, and I've been on thalidomide for like six years. Mm -hmm. And I don't have no toothache or anything, but I do have bad teeth. Uh, and so now, all of a sudden, my oncologist said I should get them pulled. And all your teeth pulled or just a particular tooth Well, pulled? Um, the dentist is going to pull my top teeth. And I have some bad ones in the in the bottom, just a couple of jaw teeth back there bad. And how many teeth and, are we talking about on top? Uh all that I got up there. <laughs> okay. I've had teeth pulled. I had a tooth pulled in uh, October two thousand and five. Mm -hmm. I had one extracted, but okay, well, it's I have a tooth. You know how you riding down to the gum. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Let's see if we can get some help with our speakers in terms of just your concerns, and uh, it sounds like you have some worries about this. Uh, Dr. Peterson, could you um, address this initially? Certainly, and, and I'm, I'm glad this has come up because as we've been spending most of our time over this last almost an hour talking about mouth problems in relation to cancer treatment, this gives me a, an important opportunity to remind all of us that not all mouth problems affect cancer treatment, and in turn, not all cancer treatments cause mouth problems. One of those points that I made early in my my part of the program today. I, I don't know your specific details, so I can't comment that way, but it may well be that the reason the oncologist and the dentist are recommending the teeth be removed has very little, if anything, to do with your multiple myeloma and your bone marrow transplant, but rather making sure that you don't have new mouth problems in the coming years, not related to your cancer and your cancer treatment, but rather oral status, mouth status. So if you're concerned about the procedure and frightened perhaps of the procedure, by all means discuss that with, with the dental team. And there's some very fine ways to reduce the, the nervousness that may come along with this. But it does go back to that important point of keeping the mouth as healthy as you can for reasons including cancer, but, but not only cancer. I guess I'm just going to do a follow-up here. Are there guidelines in terms of just how many teeth one can have removed at one time or in terms of safety or just in terms of trauma or what is the – it may be – and this would just be a general statement, and then, of course, each person would individualize in terms of um, removing teeth. Well, actually, you, you answered my you answered your question. That's great, Carolyn, because it really does become an individual case-by-case -case consideration. Mm -hmm. We can certainly do several extractions at a time if it's mm -hmm. medically safe to do that. Mm -hmm. But we always work hard to prepare our knowledge and mm -hmm. make sure the white the blood counts are, are where they need to be. And we try to decide how 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 many teeth will be extracted at a time. In mm -hmm. in, in in large part based on the overall medical status of the patient. And we can do it in multiple appointments in some cases, and in other cases we might be able to do it in, in one or two appointments. Okay, excellent. So, Mary Rose, that's something you might want to actually, you know, discuss and with your concerns. And I think, as Dr. Peterson has said, really to discuss with, have some more conversations with, you know, your oncologist as well as your dentist with your concerns so you can really get some support from them in terms of what their thinking is. And also whether this can be spaced out or how comfortable you are with um, how that's going to be handled. So thank you. That's an excellent question. Our next question. Our next question comes from Trinity B. Yes, um, excuse me, I'm a bit hoarse today, but I was calling in regards to uh, well, back in what is it, 03, I had my teeth removed. The dentist told me that the bone was receding away from the teeth. So I, I had an oral surgeon to remove um, my back teeth at the top and all of my teeth at the bottom at the same time. And uh, here lately, I've been having problems with my gums, and I have dentures, a full denture on the bottom and a partial on the top. And your question? And I really, I've really been having problems with my gums, but he just, I, I understand he just said, that it has nothing to do with the cancer or the treatment in regards to the bone loss. And see, now they told me eventually I would have to have my other teeth in the top pulled. And did you have a question for our speakers? Yes, that I'm asking what should I do? I'm getting ready to have a transplant, a stem cell transplant for multiple myeloma. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what should I do at this present time, go to the dentist or just forget it or uh, wait to after the transplant. Well, I'm glad you asked this wonderful question. I'm going to ask, um, we're going to answer your question in a general way, and then you'll take the information back to your treating health care team. Dr. Peterson, could you start with? Yeah. 
very important to, as you're getting ready for the transplant, to make sure that along with all the, the medical evaluation that there be a, a dental evaluation, and it sounds like you've had that. And if teeth need to be extracted, not because of your myeloma, but because of gum disease and receding bone, then that may well be the important next step to be done. So that's a discussion with your dentist who in turn can discuss that with the with the transplant team. But it really keeps coming back to getting the patient's mouth ready so that the transplant can proceed and that for the months and years after the transplant, we have very little, if any, risk of long-term problems in the mouth. So whatever work can be done now can go a long way, a long way to preventing problems years down the road. Excellent. Well, I, uh, these have been excellent questions. I want to thank um, our speakers for really just doing a superb presentations today. You've just been a, a winning team, and we definitely will be having you back. That's definitely the case. I want to thank also um, those of you who queued up and asked really such excellent questions today, really enabling our speakers to elaborate on further points, and all of you who have been listening as well. Now, I want to remind all of you that this is a one-hour telephone education workshop, and that we recognize when we plan a program like this that you all have many needs that a one-hour program cannot possibly totally address. And so I want to just review with you the services that you can access from Cancer Care, and uh, we're here. And so even though the program is about to end, the Cancer Care organization is here to address your concerns and your issues over the many months, weeks, years ahead. Now, Cancer Care is a nonprofit organization, and we have a staff of 60 masters level trained oncology social workers. And they are here to provide a host of services, from financial assistance to practical help. We also offer a range of counseling services, a chance to talk with someone about your concerns, your issues, your problems that you're confronting. Um, we also offer support groups on the telephone and online, and many people find support groups very, very helpful in getting the support that they need. Um, in addition, we have, of course, many telephone workshops, and we also offer these, if you miss a program or want to hear it again, it's on telephone replay, and it's also available as a podcast. And in addition, we have many publications and fact sheets that you can all access as well. Um, so there's a lot of different range of services. They're all free that you can get from Cancer Care. You can call us at 1-800-813-HOPE or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. Now, Cancer Care is an organization that's out there to provide help to you, and you also have a listing of many other resources as well. But I particularly do not want anyone to leave this program feeling that you are alone. I want you to now feel that you're part of a community of support, and that we're here to help you, and that if you have a question after the call, please do call us. Um, our phone number is on all your materials. We're here to help you. Um, and I know that many of your questions, there's another part to them. And those of you who didn't ask a question, I know that there are people who have other questions to ask. Do call Cancer Care. We're, we're here to help you. We're with you every step of the way. I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the program. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day.